Welcome to the Player Development Project podcast. My name is Dave Wright, co-founder and editor of Player Development Project. PDP is a website for coaches who are committed to learning, and we provide a huge library of resources which consists of cutting-edge insights from the world's most innovative player developers, coach educators, and researchers. If you want to learn from the best and join a community of like-minded coaches, then check out playerdevelopmentproject.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another PDP Monthly Wrap. Really pleased to be joined once again by PDP Technical Advisor, Dan Wright. Dan, how are you, mate? I'm very well, thank you, mate. Um, I just think it's worth pointing out, you know, if you are listening on podcasts, that Dave is supporting a fantastic <laughs> moustache today. Um, oh, so if you're watching the video, you can see it in its full glory. But if you're unfortunate and you're listening, it is, you know, it's very, very 1980s. You should get online and have a look. Mate, thank you for that. I'm just trying to mix it up, you know, keep the wife on her toes and keep things interesting. So, you know, it's all good. You're certainly doing that. Certainly doing that. <laughs> I'm in trouble, put it that way. Um, look, great to be back for another wrap. And uh, a lot of fantastic content came out in March from a range of contributors. Um, so we're going to sort of go through and re, uh, review that, revisit some of the clips as well. And obviously the purpose of that is just to show some of the members content for those who haven't joined up to the website yet and uh, recap what we've been delivering. So last month we published a masterclass discussion uh, with Matt DePledge, who's a former Southampton Academy uh, sports science expert who's now at British Tennis. We also published a couple of blogs, a research review, had a fantastic session plan from you, and uh, we're going to review some of that. So We'll start with the masterclass, and um, I know you know Matt DePledge very well. He's a leading sports scientist, formerly worked for Saints, and as I said, is now at British Tennis. So let's check out a clip from Matt discussing biobanding. This sort of segues nicely into the next question around biobanding, and this is a pretty hot topic, mm. and a, mm. I guess a relatively new approach in terms of how we can deal with that relative age effect and those very varied kind of growth stages. Mm. I mean... What are the benefits, what are some of the risks, and, and how do we implement this as opposed to just lining kids up on a physical level? I mean, there's a lot to consider here. So what advice would you have around, you know, this sort of approach for clubs and coaches? Sure, there is. It's, it's kind of a hot topic at the minute, isn't it? And, mm. and, and there's a lot on social media you see. It's kind of a Marmite thing. It's a, it's a love or a hate between people. Um, but I think it's important to see that, that biobanding, it, it should be seen as one tool of development rather than the development tool. Um, of, of our young athletes, um, and, and as, as you sort of touched upon, it really does does fit in sort of sort of the, the, the four corner model that it's physical, technical, technical, psychological. You've got to take into account when biobanding. Um, I guess to put a little little a few myths to bed, biobanding itself is not about lining your kids up from uh, tallest to shortest and then and then splitting them. It's not that at all. Um, believe it or not, I was I was an, an early maturer. Um, but sort of stop growing at five foot five. So it's going to be no no point in uh, in me just playing against small kids because actually me coming up against tall kids is what's going to happen mm. uh, throughout my career as such. Um, so biobanding and it's easy to look at online. Um, it's done via a method called the Camus Roach method, which okay. is calculators online, and it basically allows us if you've got the parental height and the kids' heights uh, to work out their predicted adult height. Okay. And it's, it's proven to be accurate within a couple of inches. And then from there, you can work backwards and say, well, if if uh, little Johnny's predicted X amount, I know currently his current height is at 85 percent sure. of his uh, predicted height. You can then group him amongst other children of the same 85 percent or a couple of percentile bandings. And that, in effect, broadly speaking, is sort of what biobanding right. is. So you'll still have taller kids against smaller kids and, and vice versa. It's based on where you are in terms of your um, total height, your growth potential, rather than just, just tallest to smallest. 
Um, so that's how it's done. I mm -hmm. think, yeah, it's got to be viewed um, as a development tool for, for all maturity levels. Um, for example, an early maturer who, who dominates through almost false physicality through being an early mm -hmm. might really benefit from playing in his bio band in, rather than his age group because mm. um, he might have to develop the tactical and technical skills because um, the physicality is taken away from him for a period. Um, likewise, the later maturer playing down might suddenly be able to beat a man more often rather than be caught up by the kid that's grown up physically early and, and can act actually start putting maybe more in product in their games they might not be in a late mature at that stage of development mm. however if they're not you know psychologically robust enough to do the step up or you know actually don't have the tactical and technical skills that the coach feels um would allow them to 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 progress um mm. through biobanding then it then it doesn't have to be used it shouldn't be used um it really is um one development tool to help us analyze and assess and help children of various stages of maturation progress. Yeah, I, I love the fact that you've cited the psych corner there and it's such a nice uh, mm. way to tie the physical and psych corners as such together by considering, you know, is a player mature enough mentally to be able to cope with the challenge? And sometimes it's a case Absolutely. of dipping kids in and out for a few weeks and seeing how they can go when they're stretched and perhaps bringing them back into that safer environment with friends and similar age groups. So really key point for Absolutely, me out of that, yeah. some, some great advice there. So Dan, some really interesting insights there on biobanding from Matt. I mean, the discussion was a lot longer and it was a fantastic interview with Matt. What were some of the key takeaways for you? Yeah, I think Matt's somebody who's you know, an, an expert in this field and very much interested in growth and maturation. Um, so I think that aligns with a lot of the, the messages we have here at Player Development Project. So, you know, that, that non-linear journey and what it looks like at different ages and stages. So, you know, is your best player at 14, 15 the best player or is he just the most physically developed? Mm. Um, so stuff around that, that sort of um, the, the growth and the, the maturation and how you kind of group those guys together in terms of biobending but also understanding what that player might look like in the future and then just having a bit of patience with them and, and how you maybe account for that difference in your sessions. I think um, Matt's got probably a really holistic uh, approach to this in, in terms of it isn't all about now, it isn't all about winning, it's about what's that player or that athlete going to look like um, at, at nearer the end of their journey or nearer where it's important, I suppose. Yeah. And also refreshing that Matt quite often referred to them as children. It wasn't all athlete this and athlete that. He talked about, you know, probably the, the bigger picture of the of the individual. What, what were the takeaways for you, Matt? No, look, agree with those. I think the key one for me, particularly in the clip, was just balancing the physical with the psychological and social. You know, and you've got a guy there who's obviously actively involved and very qualified in sports science. And sports science can often get a bad reputation if it's, you know, uh, cone-driven or uh, numbers-driven or statistical. Um, so I think it's important to say, look, there's a lot of good practitioners out there working in good environments who understand that there's a lot more to it than just grouping kids by size, as we kind of referred to in the clip, um, and taking into account whether a player is ready to go and play up or needs to play down. So just those individual needs were really, uh, really a highlight for me. So in terms of the next content, we're going to go over to the blogs, and we had a couple of great blogs, one of which was uh, written by you, Dan. And that's what we're going to do is actually show a clip from that blog just to give some context as to what it was about. So this article was a really excellent read. It was around Steve Kerr and what coaches can learn from him. Thousands of people have read it already. It's gone really well on social media. And uh, would you like to provide a little bit of context on the clip just before we discuss it? I'll try. Yeah. So what I tried to do was put sort of two videos into the blog. So there was examples of Steve Kerr working with his players. Um, so the first clip, the one we're going to listen to, is an interaction with um, Steph Curry. Um, so it's, it's in a break and he's talking to, Ke to Curry about probably his performance in the game and um, you know, some of the outcomes and, and some of the processes. 
Excellent. Well, let's head over to that clip now. Here's what I'm going to show you. That's your shooting totals. That's your plus minus. All right, so it's not always tied together. You're doing great stuff out there. The tempo is so different when you're out there. Everything you generate for us is so positive. It shows up here, not always there, but it always shows up here. You're doing great. Carry on, my son. So Dan, a really nice clip from Steve Kerr there, and obviously somebody you've studied at length and put a fantastic article together. What, what were some of the key uh, points for you from that clip? Yeah, so in this clip, I think Kerr uh, was showing sort of the power of one-to-one -one coaching. So he was talking to Steph Curry, who's, you know, probably one of the best players in the NBA, probably the best player on the team, and talking about his impact in the team. Um, so maybe he was struggling to sink some of those shots in, in that moment, but he was saying, you know, your interactions with the players um, and when you play, all these positive numbers are going up. So I was, I was really interested in kind of the personalized touch and then kind of focusing on the process, which has been a you know, common theme of some of the things we've discussed here. So not all about, you know, how many points have you scored, but more like what are you doing to help the team? And then just as he leaves and just as he's about to sort of re-enter the court, just the coaching from a positive, just yeah. focusing on all the good things rather than the bad things. And then the blog went on to show um, <clears throat> an interaction where the coach actually handed over the team talks to the players. Mm. So they had the whiteboard and they were talking about um, what they were going to do in, in terms of running their play. So it was kind of a blog that sort of smashed together two video clips and then uh, talked about how that, you know, what, what what was the sort of the logic behind that and maybe some of the research behind that that was helping the, the players perform and helping the players get better. What were your sort of takeaways from this one, mate? Look, I think it's just the fact that you've got somebody there at the performance end of sport, the highest level, um, you know, demonstrating empathy, but also taking that individual approach. And I think there were a lot of people when this came out on social media, because obviously the clip went fairly viral, a lot of people seem yeah. to be shocked who perhaps weren't in tune with uh, the coaching scene or what's going on in youth development. But obviously you and I know, and many of the coaches out there know who are working in the industry will know that there's a lot of people going out with this kind of approach about you know, trying to help the individual or take an empathetic approach to their players. So it's really nice to see someone at the top end of the game, uh, you know, delivering this kind of approach and, and I guess putting it out there. Yeah, and interesting that he had to almost explain it to the to the media that it wasn't disrespectful, that it wasn't, you know, like him sitting back with, with a hands-off approach. It was all sort of pre-planned and real and the, and the yeah. players were used to doing it in training. It wasn't something he just chucked together. So so moving on to the next blog, the, the next blog is by Mark Upton. Do you want to summarise this one? Yeah, look, Mark's obviously one of our sort of longest serving contributors, arguably one of the best coach developers in the world, really, really informed guy. And he wrote an article um, around performance narratives. And I guess the, the key theme here in, in short is that at the top end of sport, similar to what we're referring to with the Golden State Warriors and Steve Kerr, there, there is this dominant narrative of performance and winning and almost the same kind of line gets towed out, whether it's in press conferences or what we need to do or interviews and so on. And uh, Mark just sort of put a really nice summary together about how there are alternatives. So I would recommend that anybody listening or watching does go and check that one out. A really nice piece of work from Mark there. Um, next bit on the list is the research review from Professor William Harper, uh, obviously PDP professor over there in the States, put together a really nice review on uh, how family financial investment impacts youth sport. So Dan, did you have any thoughts uh, on this one before I sort of give mine? Yeah, I think the takeaways for me were how when parents are financially invested, I think all parents are emotionally invested, but when they become financially invested, 
perhaps um, feeling that that they've they've got an opinion and they've got a right to be involved in the process. So I think that's something that all coaches feel, whether you work grassroots and, and the parents are, are definitely involved, or whether you work in a more elite environment and you know the parents are maybe continually driving them to training or you know continually supporting them buying new boots or, or whatever. Um, I think then the skill of the coaches is how do you include those parents but also keep a consistent message. Um, what, what, what about for you, mate? Yeah, look, I think this is a real... Um it's just an eye-opener, and again, you, can, you know, whatever level you're working at, you're going to go through this, and I think being in, in the academy game, you've always got that anxiety or pressure around players being released, and obviously at grassroots level, where there's a pay-to-play model, particularly in places like the US where this study was done, or even in Australia where, where uh, you know, fees for young players to play football can be exorbitantly high. Um, it's important to understand that that's going to come with pressure and, and parents feeling like they've got a right to coach or say or be in charge can be a result of that investment. So it's something that I think as coaches we need to be aware of. But of course, this is just part of managing or understanding the complexity of the environments we work in and, uh, and really a lesson in dealing with people. So highly recommend that the uh, listeners and viewers go over and check that review out from Bill. Once again, excellent work from him. And the last bit of content we're going to review is our session plan from last month. Now, this was a 2v2 practice, which I know you've used a lot and really enjoyed. So do you want to take us through a couple of key points from the session? Yeah, I think the session sort of came about because I was trying to find a, a realistic way of improving finishing. So finishing practices tend to be unopposed. They tend to involve, um, you know, sort of mannequins or five feeds and you get five goes and left foot and right foot. And sometimes I think they, they lack a bit of realism or the speed um, it's not it's not sort of going to transfer to the game. So I was trying to find a, a simple way to, to create 2v1s or 2v2 situations in and around the box. So, so players had to make those really quick decisions of whether to assist or score. And then I was, uh, you know, I was, I was kind of looking to get that repetition without repetition. So there was loads of finishes, there was loads of assists, but they all looked really different. So basically it's players working in pairs, attacking two defenders, sort of in that central strip, you know, sort of the width yeah. of the box. And then when you add that competition element, it just shot up like yeah. the, the the kids didn't really want to defend so they were defending so well that they wanted to have a go at finishing and that just drove I, pro, I suppose sort of the returns and then you could dial up um the sort of the realism of adding offsides or you know adding constraints around certain zones and whether the mm. players were locked in so, so so something i've done with the, the group of players i work with and they, they've asked to revisit a couple of times so that you know it's obviously quite engaging but um, yeah, quite fun and quite realistic. Did you have a look at that one? I did, and I, again, I'd recommend people go and check it out. It's a really adaptable session. It's good. Like most of our sessions in the library there, uh, they are adaptable, and it's important that whilst we'll give you a framework, you go and apply it to uh, your environment. So again, great work from you, mate, and I uh, highly recommend that the uh, listeners get onto the site and check out the session plan library, in particular that 2v2 practice. And finally, before we uh, conclude the PDP monthly wrap, I just want to announce some very exciting new changes, which my brother Adam's been working really hard on behind the scenes to the website. And this is to make the members user experience even better. So those changes are now live. And when you sign into the members dashboard, you can customize your own feed, similarly to things like Netflix, where you may be able to choose your own content and you will start seeing more and more of the content of the categories that you would like to see. Now the website's got over 500 pieces of content in the form of videos, Q and A's, masterclass discussions, and of course, uh, magazines and research reviews. So loads of content there. Jump on, log onto the dashboard, set up your categories, and you can adapt and adjust those at any time if you want to change them. So if you're not a member, head over to playerdevelopmentproject.com and join now. That pretty much concludes things, Dan. Thanks again for your time.
No worries, mate. See you soon. Excellent having you on board, and we will look forward to the next PDP Monthly Wrap very soon. Thanks for joining us on the Player Development Project podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at PlayerDP or find us on Facebook. Don't forget to head over to playerdevelopmentproject.com where you can sign up to our progressive coaching community and gain access to our wide variety of resources to help you in your coaching.